I'm preaching with a new Bible today because I left my, church, my Bible last night at the Bible church. <laughs> but my best mate, uh, I'm sure his Bible will be okay too. Uh, but we preachers sort of get used to our preaching Bible, I certainly do. And uh, so if I can't find a spot very quickly, then you probably know why. While you're turning to the book of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3, I had a bit of a panic attack this morning in Pastor Minnick's message. He started to mention Jeremiah and I thought, oh no, uh, he's just going to give my whole message. But it was good background. Thank you, brother. I do appreciate that song by Joseph. That was fantastic. I love that. So I wish he could do it again. Maybe at the end he could just sing that again. Because this message is about Jerusalem. Uh, he sung about the new Jerusalem. And uh, we're learning today about the old Jerusalem and uh, why we need, probably need, that we need for, uh, for a, a new Jerusalem or a, a revised Jerusalem in the last days. And so uh, I'd just like to read Lamentations chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Uh, he hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turned his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. We'll ask the Lord to bless uh, his word to us. Father, we thank you for, uh, Lord, the reminder of uh, that day when there will be that new Jerusalem and we'll be able to take our, up our residence there, Lord, and uh, rule with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. But, Father, as we focused uh, just now for a moment on um, the Jerusalem of old, uh, Lord, uh, I pray that there might be a lesson here for all of us about your great faithfulness and we pray in Jesus name Amen Now I know Pastor Trumbull uh, knows about the book of Lamentations because he basically outlined it for me while we were having morning tea uh, but for the rest of you who may not know about the book of Lamentations I'm sure uh, those who do know, you, you know it's written by the prophet Jeremiah and this morning I want to share just four aspects of Jeremiah's life that we find in this little book. The first thing I want us to uh, uh, see is what I've called his poetry. As you probably know, the Hebrew Bible is divided into three divisions, the law, the prophets and the writings. And in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Lamentations, uh, it's not in the prophets like it is in our Bible, it sits between uh, the book of Ruth and the book of Ecclesiastes in the writings section of uh, the Hebrew Bible. Lamentations is considered by the Jews to be lyrical poetry. And its poet poetic nature isn't sort of clear to us in our English Bible. Uh, but when you uh, see it in the Hebrew Bible, you understand that it is poetry just by the structure of the book. Uh, Lamentations is really a series of five related poems. Every chapter, <coughs> except the last one, follows the Hebrew alphabet. We might call it a Hebrew acrostic. Now, most of you know, probably, uh, certainly if you were here on the first day, that the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. Uh, so I want you to notice there in chapter 1, Lamentations chapter 1, you'll notice has 22 verses. 
And each verse begins with the, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth. Uh, you understand uh, that uh, uh, it's an acrostic, alphabetic acrostic. And then you have a look in chapter 2. Uh, yes, 22 verses. Again, exactly like chapter 1, uh, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, uh, starting each of the verses. And then in chapter 3, if you have a look, it's the largest chapter in the book, and there are 66 verses. That's math, isn't it? 3 times 22 is 66. And so if you were to see the Hebrew, you'd see Aleph, 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 Beth, 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 Gimel, Gimel, Gimel. Uh, so there is a series of three uh, verses that follow the acrostic. And so again, it has... Uh, it follows the, the poetic form. And then in chapter 4, again, 22 verses, exactly like chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 5 has 22 verses, but it's the only chapter that doesn't follow the acrostic. Uh, I don't know why, but it, uh, it just uh, stops there. So this is a set of five poems, uh, and all of them have one theme. The theme of this, uh, these poems is the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem. And that was Jeremiah's poetry, which brings us to his problem. Before we look at, uh, at the Lamentations, so let's, for background, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32, and we'll just get a little background to uh, what's happening uh, during the writing of this uh, poem. Uh, Jeremiah 32... And verses 1 to 5. So we commence with verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Zedekiah has locked him up because that's what uh, Jeremiah is prophesying. You're going to get, get this, this. Judah's going to be taken by the king of Babylon. Uh, verse 4, And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him mouth to mouth and his eyes shall behold his eyes and he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord, though ye fight with the Chaldeans, ye shall not prosper. And so here was the, the background uh, to the writing of the book of the Lamentations. Uh, Judah at this time had been invaded by the armies of Babylon. So the city of Jerusalem was under siege. This was the third uh, such uh, attack by the Babylonians. And uh, this time, Zedekiah was the king. Now, as we can see there, um, Jeremiah wasn't popular with the king because he was always uh, prophesying against Zedekiah. But Jeremiah wasn't popular also with the people. And that's simply because he had to tell the people about their sin and they didn't like it. So, when the city was under siege, the king put Jeremiah into prison. He couldn't have Jeremiah in the city walking around uh, telling everybody, well, the city's going to fall, the city's going to fall, King Zedekiah's going to fall. He couldn't have him doing that, so he shut him up. The king shut him up in his own prison. Jeremiah was a prisoner 
of his own king, the wicked king Zedekiah. This meant that he was in the city for about two years during this terrible siege of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah was forced to witness the terrible effects of the siege. And this is really what uh, the book of Lamentations about, is about. And so if you'd just like to go back to Lamentations, Jeremiah's problem. Jeremiah's problem was that he was stuck in the city during this terrible siege. And in chapter 1, Jeremiah outlined some of the conditions of the city during the siege. If you have a look at the beginning of the chapter, it's almost like a title to the chapter. Chapter 1, verse 1. How doth the city sit? How doth the city sit? That's the question. What's it like living in Jerusalem under this terrible siege? Well, um, as we would read through, if we, we're not going to read through all of uh, this, but uh, we'll read a few verses, you'll see that the city uh, wasn't in good shape. He outlines the condition of the city in a few verses. Let me read verses 1 and 2. He asks the question, how doth the city sit? Solitary, that was full of people. How has she become a widow? She that was great among the nations and a princess among the provinces, how is she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. We read here of the, the loss of the former glory of the city of Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem and, even, and Judah were just a tributary of the great Babylonian empire. Have a look in verse 3. He says, Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. Uh, here is a reference basically to those who had already been taken into Babylonian captivity under two former attacks and deportations. Uh, by the time of the writing of uh, Lamentations, Daniel and Ezekiel had already been taken to Babylon. Judah is in captivity already even before the fall of Jerusalem. Have a look in verse 6. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. Once this great, beautiful city, the, the wonder, one of the wonders of the world, Zion's city had, Zion's beauty had departed. And so the condition of the city during this siege was very desperate. Now, uh, Jeremiah doesn't hold back why God had allowed this desperate, de desperate situation to arise. It's very clear in verse 8. Uh, you can't miss it. Uh, uh, verse 8, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honoured her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth away backward. The reason for the condition of the city was simply because of their terrible sin. Have a look in verses 18 and 20. Verse 18, The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his commandment. Here I pray you all people, and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men are gone into captivity. And then in verse 20 we read, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress, my bowels are troubled, mine heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sorbery that at home there is death. Here we read of the rebellion of the people of Jerusalem. Here was basically Jerusalem's confession. Uh, she had sinned against the Lord and she'd re 
rebelled against, uh, rebelled against him. That was the reason for the condition that the city was in. And the result for the inhabitants, those people that were stuck in the city with all those Babylonian soldiers outside ready to take them, the, the condition of the inhabitants in the city is, is terrible. Have a look in verse 11. Uh, it says, All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. All the inhabitants that were stuck in the city of Jerusalem uh, were sighing. They were seeking for bread because they were starving. As the siege went on, there was less and less food uh, for the people. It says they sold their pleasant things, all their, their trinkets, their special, you know, the, you know, they sold their special things that they'd kept on the mantelpiece or the or bars of gold, that they, anything that they could, could sell to buy food. That's how desperate it was. And then we're reading verse 12. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. What a mournful, mournful saying. Is it, is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Have you ever seen sorrow like under the sorrow of the, of the city of God? And, and there's this other mournful tone that there was no comforter. There was no comfort for Jerusalem at this time. No one would come to her aid. Have a look in verse, uh, in verse 9. Her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembers not her last end. Therefore she came down wonderfully. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified himself. Verse 17 we read. Zion spreadeth forth her hands, there, and there is no comfort, none to comfort her. The Lord hath commanded concerning Jacob that his adversaries should be round about him. Jerusalem is become a mentress woman among them. There is no comforter for Jerusalem in verse 21. They have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. You know, sin, sin that, and rebellion that, that is, is left unchecked can become a very, can place a person in a very lonely place a place where there is no comfort. The lamentation continues in chapter 2, but it has a completely different uh, feel to it. In chapter 1, um, Jeremiah is basically telling us the condition of the city and the reason for it. But in chapter 2, it's basically about how God has judged the people. God is... Jeremiah is telling, uh, telling us that it is God that's done this. God has done this. Look how the chapter begins, chapter 2. How hath the Lord? How hath the Lord? This chapter is about judgment. What God had done to Jerusalem. How hath the Lord covered the daughters of Zion with a cloud in his anger? And this expression, the Lord hath, or something like it, appears 29 times in this, the 22 verses of this chapter. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done this to us. It's just a full of what the judgment that God has brought upon his people. And in this chapter, Jeremiah described in this simple but haunting way the, the judgment God had brought on Judah. In verse 8, he 
He, he says that, uh, that God even intended for the walls of Jerusalem to fall. They hadn't fallen at this stage, but read verse 8. The Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He hath stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore hath he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. Those walls that they thought would keep them safe from any enemy would one day fall. We find out that the judgment of God was on all levels of society. Have a look in verse 9 and 10. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed her broken, uh, destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. All uh, levels of society, the princes, uh, the prophets, the people, are all, have come, all come under God's judgment. And because of this, Jerusalem had lost her former glory. Verse 15, all that passed by her clapped their hands. They hiss and wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? They mock Jerusalem, that what once was supposed to be the city that was the perfect city. The chapter ends with a most haunting overview of the state of those judged. Have a look in verse 20 to 22. Behold, O Lord, and consider to whom thou hast done this. Shall the women eat their fruit and children of a span long? Shall the priest and the prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? The young and the old lie on the ground in the streets. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. Thou hast slain them in the day of thine anger. Thou hast killed and not pitied. Thou hast called as in a solemn day my terrors round about. So that in the day of the Lord's anger, none escaped nor remained. Those that I have swallowed up, as, uh, those that I have swallowed and brought up, hath mine enemy consumed. Here we read of mothers eating their babies because they are so hungry. Here we see read of bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. Some of them from starvation and others in violence. If we were to go over to chapter four, you'll give a description of the the young men of Jerusalem. They're just a bag of bones because. They're starving to death. There were bodies lying in the street from starvation. There were bodies lying in the street through violence because when people get hungry, they start to fight each other. When we read this chapter, we understand that what God's word says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The judgment of God was, a, was upon his rebellious people. Now, we're not left wondering how all of this affected Jeremiah. And that's really uh, what chapter 3 is about. And so having seen his poetry and his problem, the problem was that he was in this doomed city, we next read of his pain. Jeremiah's problem, we need to understand, wasn't due to his own sin. And this is a very important lesson for us to understand. Jeremiah was just a victim of the sin of others. 
but he still had to endure the consequences of God's judgment on the sin of his countrymen. It didn't keep him away. He didn't sort of have to sort of, he was sort of free from pain, uh, immune from pain or suffering because of what was happening to his people. It wasn't his fault, and yet he still had to suffer. And this often happens, that we suffer because of the sin and failure of other people. And we might be innocent, but often we have to suffer the consequences of their sin or of their foolishness. It might be a godly wife with a drunken husband. It might be innocent children whose parents make foolish decisions. It might be godly, a godly parent with a rebellious child. One thing we can learn from Jeremiah is that often the righteous have to suffer because of other people. In this situation, the Lord wasn't punishing Jeremiah, but Jeremiah still had to suffer. And this is the theme of chapter 3. And basically, this is really where I'm heading today, of course. I want you to notice in verse 1, he gives a theme, basically, for the whole of the chapter. Uh, This is really what he's trying to get across to us. He says, I am the man. I'm the man. I'm the one who's going through all of these terrible things because of the sin of others. This chapter is is mainly about Jeremiah's personal suffering. I'm the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. The first person uh, pronoun, if you don't know what the first person is, that's I or me. (laughs) The first person pronoun appears over and over again in this chapter. I appears 14 times, me 22 times, uh, my appears 29 times and mine appears 7 times. There is a total of 72 references in in the first person singular, most referring to Jeremiah. It's all happening to me. There's short tension, though. He has a short tangent in the passage where he counsels the people about what to do about their plight. And and then the pronouns change to we and to us and to our. Have a look in verse uh, verse 40 of chapter 3. He says, uh, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts with Hands unto God in the God of heavens, we have transgressed and have rebelled. Uh, thou, hast, uh, thou hast not pardoned. And so uh, there's this little tangent here where he sort of counsels the people and he includes himself in and he tells us what we need to do uh, to, to make things right. God was judging the unrighteous. And because of that, the righteous, like Jeremiah, also suffered. And so having, well, after he counsels the people, he goes back to his own ways. In verse 48, he, he says these words, Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. He's back in the first person. First person singular. God was judging the unrighteous. But because of that, the righteous, like Jeremiah, also suffered. And we can sense his pain as we read the earlier verses of this chapter 3. In the first 20 verses, Jeremiah tells us that he thinks God is punishing him. He said, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his hand. God was giving him a hiding. That's how he felt. It was as if God was holding a stick and and beating him. Have a look in verse 3. He says, surely against me is he turned. He turned his hand against me all the day long. And so he felt that God had turned against him. Verse 4, 
My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. Uh, you can sense that there is physical pain attached with what he is having to suffer. Have a look in verse 6. Uh, he hath set me. He hath set me. He felt God had put him in this place. And the thing is, he had. He hath set me in a dark place. And they that be dead, as they that be dead or old. He felt that God had placed him in a dark place. And we know, we can know the story. We know that Jeremiah at one stage was cast into a, into a pit, into a dark uh, place where his feet went into the miry clay. Perhaps that's a reference to that. Have a look in verse 7. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. He felt trapped by God. And you know, we can all also feel trapped often by our trials. We can be trapped by some circumstance and it's as if we don't know how to get out of this. Then in verse 8 he says, Also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth up my prayer. He felt God wasn't hearing his prayers. Have you ever, ever felt that? God hasn't. I've been praying. I've had people say that to me just recently. I've been praying and praying about this. Why hasn't God answered my prayer? Have a look in 12 and 13. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. Uh, he hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my range. God, uh, Jeremiah thought that God had sort of set him as a target on the wall and he was shooting his arrows at him. And he felt people were talking about him. Have a look in verse 14. I was in derision of all my people and their song all the day. In verse 17 we read, And thou hast removed my soul from afar off from peace. I forgot prosperity. He thought God had taken away his peace. He wasn't feeling very peaceful. And he, he felt that God had taken away his prosperity. In verse 18 we read, And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. And in verse 19 we read the summary. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. Now there were more sad things. If we were to go, this has got 66 verses in it. And there's a lot more eyes than these. So he, this is just sort of a part of how, how bad he was feeling. And how he felt the Lord was in some way putting him through this terrible time. He was miserable and sad and he felt God was to blame. And there were more sad things. Have a look in verses 48 and 49. I'll read that verse again. 48. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. 49. My eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without uh, intermission. This is why we call him the weeping prophet. He's the weeping, because he was literally weeping. This is a lamentation. He's in real pain. He was in terrible pain in his soul. When we get back to verse 19, we read, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, when he remembered that, uh, when he remembered his affliction, it was like wormwood. Now, wormwood is also translated hemlock. Uh, in our Bibles, and hemlock, as you know, is a poison. He felt like he was being poisoned. Uh, and he felt, when he remembered his afflictions, it was like he felt, he, he felt gall. Uh, this is also translated in our, in our Old Testament as venom and poison of deadly snakes. He felt like he, he was, he, he, I'm pretty sure when you've been bitten by a snake, you feel sick, <laughs> you feel terrible. That's how he felt. When he remembered all of his afflictions, he felt like he'd been uh, poisoned. 
And so you can sense how he was feeling from these early verses. Verse 20 tells us that when his soul had these afflictions in remembrance, he was humbled. He says, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. The word humbled here means to be bowed down. And we would probably translate it as depressed. He was feeling like very depressed. Bowed down, humbled by all of the things that he had to endure. And I think we've all met people who are bowed down by circumstance. Or maybe that's just you and me. Bowed down by the circumstances that we've had to bear. And our mind and our emotions can be pressed down by some burden. I know I've had many sleepless nights. Some things come up and, uh, and I'm, I, I try not to think about it. When I'm in bed and I start to think about it, I say, don't think about it. And I try to think about something else. I praise the Lord I've never been truly depressed. But I know people who have been. And I know it's a terrible, terrible place to be. Well, if we are feeling that way, bowed down by our circumstances, you're not on your own. Jeremiah's been there before us. And when you think about it, right at this time in his life, Jeremiah was right in the centre of God's will. This was God's will for his life. This pain wasn't his doing, he was just a victim. The sovereign God could have saved Jeremiah from this pain. Later in his life, he'd be shot off to Egypt, wouldn't he? Or there were other times that the God was able to get, get those uh, the righteous uh, out of the place of judgment, but not for Jeremiah. This was God's sovereign will for him to be in this place at this time. God could have warned him and, uh, to flee and hidden him away, but he didn't. It's clear this pain was God's will for his life, and you know, so it is for us. If our pain is punishment for wrongdoing, then it's God's will for us. And so if we're going through some difficult circumstance, uh, we've got the first thing we're going to ask ourselves, is this my fault? Is this God sort of chastising me? And if it is, that's God's will for us to be chastised, so we'll get right. But if our pain is not our doing, and God hasn't spared us from it, this is also God's will for us. It's not so, well, uh, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm facing this terrible circumstance or I'm feeling all these things, um, uh, this, this, this suffering and this pain, therefore I mustn't be in God's will. That's not true. That's sometimes a part of God's will for our life. And maybe it was this thought that changed the mood in Jeremiah's soul. Because when he was at his lowest ebb, remembering his misery... It was then he remembered something else. And this, this next section comes like a, a, a bolt of, of light, gleaming light into this scene of gloom. This beam of light comes down. And so having seen his poetry and his problem and his pain, I want to point you to his portion. Let's read these wonderful words in verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore... I have hope. When he said this, I recall, he wasn't talking about verses 1 to 19. When he thought about those things, he only felt wormwood and gall. When he said this, I recall, he meant what he's about to say in verses 22 to 39, but especially what's found in verses 22 to 26. Let me read these familiar words. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What is it that he recalled to his mind that gave him hope? Well, he said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, 
because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. When Jeremiah remembered these things, even though he was in pain, he could still have hope. And that's because the Lord was his portion. And to summarise what Jeremiah is saying here about the Lord, let me quote from a wonderful verse, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, because here he remembered that God's faithfulness is great. Great was God's faithfulness to him. Now perhaps I should have started the message here and not finished it. But in his darkest hour, I wanted to show you in dark. It was in his darkest hour that Jeremiah penned these timeless words. Summarised by this wonderful thought, great is thy faithfulness. It, it seems almost surreal that he would even think that, having just told us of the terrible pain that he was going through. Now the reason I believe that he could say that, the reason that he could say in the midst of that that the Lord's mercies are new every morning and that God was faithful to him, the reason I think he could say that was because he says here the Lord was his portion. They could take away his lands, they could take away his health, they could take away his honour, they could take away his friends, they could take away, even take away his happiness. But in Jeremiah's life, these were just peripherals. His hope rested in the Lord and no one could take him away. When I thought about this, I thought, I believe that it's only through sufferings and trials that we can tr see the true test of a person, what tr is truly in their inner man. We can all dress up in that suit and put that big black Bible in our hand and sing the song, but it's only when a man is squeezed that you find out what's inside. I've seen people, even deacons in my church, they're not there anymore, they're a good lot, this lot. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and I've seen even the deacons squeezed, now come all these swear words that I didn't even know were in there. And that's the true nature of a man. But when Jeremiah was squeezed, even though he was really suffering, out came these wonderful words. The Lord is my portion. And that's why he could have hope. His one and only portion was the Lord. And that meant in the direst, even in the direst of times, he could still have hope. He knew the Lord would never leave him or forsake him. Does that sound familiar? He would never leave him or forsake him. So if the Lord is his portion, he has reason to hope. And brethren, no matter how hard the times are for us, if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the same is true for us. This is the promise Jesus gives, gives to us all. Even though he sends us out like he sent Jeremiah into that terrible place to endure all those terrible things, sometimes he sends us to places like that. Knowing what we'll have to bear was very similar to what we heard this morning. The Lord sends us out knowing we're going amongst, uh, we're going like sheep amongst wolves. And when I thought of that, I thought of that. It's almost a woeful song by, uh, by Margaret Clarkson. Uh, so send I you. When you look at the words, they're it's pretty dark. I looked her up on the internet. She must have had a sad life. <laughs> so send I you to labour unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown, 
to bear rebuke, to suffer scorn and scoffing, so send I you to toil for me alone. So send I you to hearts made hard by hatred, to eyes made blind because they will not see, to spend, though it be blood, to spend and spare not, so send I you, you to taste of Calvary. You know, sometimes that's, well, that's our mission, as we learnt this morning. And God sends us to people who are hard-hearted, to people who just don't want to hear the message, but we, he still sends us and we have to suffer. And this was Jeremiah's ministry. This was his ministry as we, if you went to Jeremiah 1 this morning, exactly what I'd said, I'm going to send you a people who don't want to hear it. But you still have to go. That's God's will for his life. But despite his trials in serving God, Jeremiah knew when he remembered, Jeremiah knew God was mercy, God was compassion, God was faithful because God had proved it to Jeremiah in the past. So when he remembered what God was like and that God was his portion, he then felt hope even in all of his misery and gloom. And friends, this is what we need to recall to our minds when we are suffering. We have to remember what we know to be true about our God. Even if it doesn't feel like he's faithful, he is faithful. Even if it doesn't feel like he's compassion, he is compassion. Even though it might feel like he has, is a merciful God, he is a merciful God. If all we do in our trials <laughs> is remember over and over again what upsets us, it will only ever feel one word of God and we won't get any good sleep. But if we remember him who is our portion, then we can have hope. And look, for us, all we need to do is to go to the cross of the, of the one who died for us and, and look at those wounds and to see that he suffered that for me. That's all I need to remember. And once I have seen what he suffered for me, then I can recall to my mind all those former blessings and I can count my blessings one by one and know that he has been faithful to me. That great is his faithful despite how things are at the moment. We mustn't just recall what has made us sad, but to choose to remember how good God is. And you know, when Jeremiah realised that, he remembered that, then he could get about to doing what he needed to do. Verse 25, The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Because as we learnt this morning, Jeremiah was promised that his enemies won't have prevail over him. So he just had to wait in that terrible place and he had to witness all the terrible things that were going on around him. He just had to wait on the Lord because the Lord would save him. And so do we. The theme of the conference, great is the Lord. Well, I'm here to tell you today that he is great in his faithfulness. You know, it's easy to say that when things are easy. It's easy to sing that when things are going our way and things are going as the way we hoped. But if the Lord is our portion and we have that sweet relationship with him, We'll, able to, we'll be able to say it and we'll be able to mean it even when things are hard. The fact is that we will always have problems in this world. If you're living the same world I'm living in, you'll always, always have problems and we'll always suffer some pain. But if he is our portion, then we can never lose hope. Uh, 
I was asking Colin about a, a, an older lady that we knew at Bashan Mission. I lived at Bashan for quite a few years and uh, they had a nursing home across the road and oftentimes I would have to go to the nursing home to visit my grandma or something or other. And there was a, an older lady there called Miss, Miss Caswell. Now you get that Miss Caswell. She had never married. She didn't have any children or grandchildren to take care of, care of her. She must have been in her 80s. Uh, she was quite old and she was racked. Her body was racked with arthritis. And so she'd be bent up like this and she had some sort of walking frame to get up from her, from her room to go down to the, uh, to the, to the dining room. And so you, 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 you'd get into the aisle and here she'd come and you'd see Miss, Miss Caswell, we call her Cassie. Not only did she have terrible arthritis and she didn't have really anybody to care for her, but she had a terrible rash, red rash all over her body. It was on her face and all over her body and every day they had to rub cream on her, every single day. And you'd see Cassie there in the hallway and, and, and you'd, you'd stop and say, <laughs> you really shouldn't say this, how are you going? <laughs> but you'd say, because that's our typical greeting, how are you today, Cassie? And, you know, all of a sudden when she'd see you there, she'd lift her face. I could still see it. It was over 35 years ago. She'd lift her face and this big smile would come on her face and she'd tell you how good God is, how great the great things God had done for her. And I tell you what, all my problems just all washed away in that very moment and that smile. And this is every time you'd see her, it was exactly the same smile. It was exactly the same thing. Uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He has been faithful to me. That's really what the message that Cassie would give me. And friends, that can be our message if we make the Lord our portion and we don't focus on the problems focus on the portion let's pray shall we father we do thank you so much for who you are and one of the things you are is faithful and uh, lord we know that uh, you're not just faithful but great is thy faithfulness and i personally can testify how often i've been unfaithful how often i've turned to the right hand or the left hand how often lord i've failed you but i i've always found you to be faithful to me and i thank you for that and I pray that, Father, we all might, whether things are going good for us at the moment or things aren't, whatever it is, your will for us, I pray that we won't forget who you are and your faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.